Yes, it's so much harder in menopause. Our metabolism doesn't change significantly. We know that from the Ponza study. We've known that for a while yet. This is our metabolism's broken. It needs rewiring or whatever. Nobody's cracked the code. That's the Galveston tagline, I believe. Anti-inflammatory diets. What does that even mean? It's so vague. And like, if you're telling people to eat more fiber, that's what we're telling people from a nutritional standpoint. That's not new news. The latest thing is eat a whole avocado every day. What the fuck? Who wants to do that? Like, come on. And 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 my my biggest issue is the way it's talked about. We're going to balance your hormones. We're going to fix your metabolism. And I'm like, how? How? Mm. What yeah, hormones? Right. Stop it now. Shut up. Welcome to Cut the Crap with Beth and Matt, the world's number one no bullshit health and fitness podcast. Are you ready to cut the crap with your diet and exercise, get strong as fuck, and build a healthy relationship with food? Then you've come to the right place. Let's Let's go. If you'd like to support us in the podcast, join our Patreon where you get exclusive content, which consists of monthly workouts you can do at home or at the gym, monthly challenges that are either strength, habit, or mindset-based, and access to over 100-plus low-calorie, high-protein, family-friendly meals. These are all designed by a professional chef who is certified in nutrition. These recipes are already in my fitness pal for easy fucking tracking. New recipes are also added each week. We believe that fitness is for everyone, so this is our way of getting you started on your health and fitness journey at a price most everyone can afford. So what the fuck are you waiting for? We'll see you in the Patreon. Hey, Amanda. Hi, Amanda. Hello. What's up? Hello. Hello. Hi. Thank you for being here. I'm excited. So excited. <laughs> so excited to have you. How are you doing today? Are we thumbs up or what? Brand. Everything's good. Awesome. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself with the thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. It didn't go over my head. Don't worry. Yeah, we're already <laughs> off to a great start. <laughs> So we have Amanda Thieve on the podcast, you guys. Super excited about this. Um, I love her just because, A, I love how she uh, talks about menopause all the time and tells everyone to fuck themselves. <laughs> a woman after my own heart. Kindred spirits. Do you get a, a lot of shit for swearing to Yeah, you? of my mom. My mom comes on and she she doesn't have the same last name as me. And she'll come on and she'll go, oh, why do you always have to do that? <laughs> so the person who, who hates me swearing more than anything is my own mother. I'm 52 years old and I get in trouble all the time. <laughs> Sometimes my kids get annoyed with me swearing. But you know what? I don't think I use swearing inappropriately. I appropriately right. go and tell people to go and fuck themselves. Yeah. It's the context that matters, yes. the delivery that matters. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Don't use it in a way to harm somebody. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. you know, when I was talking about Vince from V-Shred and I called him a cockwomble, the thing is when I did the post <laughs> about that, I actually spent a lot of time digging into the background about like how V-Shred, the company started, how it's this big marketing scam. And I spent a bit of time pulling the po- post together and then people were like, yeah, cockwomble. I'm like, that's what you took from the whole post. They loved it. So anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the slang. I I love it. Cockwomble. That's a new one to me. I probably I don't know if I'd be able to appropriately use it though, because um, you know, I'm American as fuck. So that just sounds weird, I think, coming from <laughs> 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 oh, that's too funny. Oh, okay. Yeah. Let's do this. I'm excited. I love you guys. And um, 
I always like the way that like you don't trigger me when you eat food, Beth, because I have those issues, you know, when people talk and you see them eating and I'm just like, I can't do this. I can't watch you. I have that misophonia and I also want to stab people in the eyeballs when they eat in front of me and you do it and it's fine. I wonder why. Good. I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's because like no, when Beth is eating and she's talking to you, she, like you better listen up. <laughs> she's, she's got some important shit to say that you need to hear. That's what it is. Yeah. That's what it is. The same for you too, Amanda. Um, you, you have a lot of good messages out there and obviously your book, uh, Menapocalypse is, I have never read it personally. Um, but like, obviously we want to talk oh, about God, that what's today. What's the point of coming on then? I'm just joking. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> You wrote that, I think, right before 2020 yeah, happened, right? It came out 2020, like World Menopause Day is October 18th. And so it launched to October 2020. And so it was that whole like, oh, I'm launching a book in COVID in the virtual world. How is this going to go? And, and you know, you know, writing books isn't what it used to be. Like, it's really hard to get a publisher. You don't make a lot of money doing it. But it's a it's a gratifying experience, like to be able to go through the process of coming up with a book at the end of it. But better than that, like, and I, I have, you don't make a ton of money, not unless you're a massive New York Times bestseller or you're Prince Harry or something, or Obama. But you, but it's added a lot of cloud to me. Like people are sort of want to hear what I've got to say, because when I wrote the book, I definitely wanted it to be the best friend's guide to menopause, even though it's evidence-based and it's very solid in its research. It's like us talking and it has to be because I found that when I was doing the research for menopause myself, well, I'm not doing the research, but actually just trying to find out information about what the fuck was going on with my body. I was finding all these really dry medical books of Christine Ann Northrup, who's a total conspiracy theorist as well. All oh, these yeah. really like flighty comedy books that dismissed me. And I was like, you can deliver stuff with humor clearly and it works and it sticks. But I also want to be seen. I want to be heard and I want to be acknowledged. And so that's what I've tried to cover in my book and in my general messaging. Right. Because I often feel like women are well, we are during this phase dismissed. We feel invisible. We don't see we don't feel seen and we don't feel heard. And I sort of wanted to address all of those problems. And you went through a few years of like kind of horrific, like medical issues without realizing that it actually was tied to, I believe, perimenopause, right? Very um, common. Like my story is not unique. I thought it was like in the thick of it, in the thick of right. it, I was like, like, I mean, even just pulling it back a bit, 40 years old, really feeling fit. And I wasn't trying to be a smug or anything, but I was sort of just starting to like build up my fitness business. And I'd been doing it first since I was in my twenties, but I'd restarted it in Toronto where I lived. And I just was like, you know, I feel like I'm a really good example and not in a smug way, but like in this way that I can say, look, we're 40, we're capable, we're strong. We have to keep like, like thriving and doing what we're doing. And then when I was 42, I just got hit with this sledgehammer that made me feel really ill. And that, and it wasn't, it didn't feel like it was hormonal. Like we, we understand what hormonal feels like. We've had periods since we were 13, 14. I had dizziness, vertigo, nausea. I couldn't walk. I kept falling over. I lost feeling all down the right-hand side of my face, right down to my fingers on so my hands would claw. I couldn't pick up my cup without having to hold it with another hand. I literally felt like I was having a stroke. It was so scary. That's it was scary. scary as anything. And I was like that for a few days and then it went and I was like, oh, it was just a virus. But then it happened again and again and again. So I went to my 
GP who at the time was like, let's get you, you need an MRI scan, we need you in the system. But you know what, like I was in the system for two years, I was going to see neurologists, ear, nose and throat doctors, vestibular rehabilitation specialists. They were like, yeah, there's something not right, but we can't put our finger on it. And um, at one of the appointments and the nurse came up to me and she went, I think you've got migraines with an aura, like a vestibular migraine. However, the neurologist didn't say that. And she went, I just think it is because I've got it. Like it looks the same as what I've got. And so I was like, okay, then by this time, depression as well, a depression that I'd never experienced in my life, even been through really shitty things in my life experiences. Like I just didn't recognize myself, didn't want to get out of bed in the morning, really struggled to participate in life like with my partner, with my kids, with my friends, I just stopped being Amanda. It was horrible. And uh, I was waking up every morning going, is this it? Is this what I'm going to, is this my life now? Have I gone from being this really dynamic person to being this miserable fucking cow that doesn't even want to, like, doesn't even want to make a cup of tea anymore? Like, nothing to want to do anything. I was numb. So anyway, it was carried on. Everyone was worried. I went to my gynecologist for like a wellness checkup. And um, I'd obviously missed a year because it was two years in. And uh, he just sort of said, hey, is everything all right? And then I started crying like you do when someone asks if you're all right. And fast forward and he just said, hey, listen, I see this day in and day out. This is perimenopause. You're not losing your mind. You're losing your estrogen. You've got migraine for sure. Definitely. Because I'd sort of mentioned, is this migraine? You, You have depression without a doubt. You're not you're not succeeding. You're not like thriving. You're not like reaching your potential every day and I can help you. And I just was like, so relieved. And then I was so relieved. Then I was fucking angry, like kicking things in the street as I walked to meet my husband and pissed as anything. And then I sat down with my husband for lunch and he went, is everything all right? And I went, yeah, apparently I'm in perimenopause and I've got migraines and I'm depressed. And he went, oh, thank God for that. I thought you were going to leave me. (laughs) Oh my really? I just and then at that moment I just was like oh my god I didn't even think about how this was impacting him I was so in my own head with this whole whole thing so I wrote an article about it and that's sort of how this whole thing started and the responses from women were like that's me that's me that's me and I've spoken to tens of thousands of women and unfortunately my not my story is really typical medical professionals looking for a solution, not knowing what they don't know. The medical profession don't get trained in menopause management. So they help as best as they can. They didn't see what was in front of them because they didn't know to look for it. Mm-hmm. And then you just had to get that one, your your own doctor, your, your, your gynecologist, you said, and they, they just had to, I mean, right away they knew, right? Yeah. But you said you missed a, a year with them. Was that because of the uh, the pandemic that you missed um, one of your checkups with them? Or well, do, well, during this time, I mean, this is ten years ago now. I'm fifty two, and so this is like oh, when I think true. I was yeah, yeah, I was probably about forty four. But I think I just stopped taking care of myself because I had depression and I just didn't do my regular Pap smear and mammogram and all of those things. I, and and I think the only reason I went back is because. The previous year, they'd found some ovarian cysts. A lot of women have ovarian cysts and dense breasts and all of those things. And so it was just, I thought, oh, I better go and check up on it. It was literally, I figured I should go and check it out. And it wasn't for any other reason. Because I hadn't even heard of perimenopause 10 years ago, ever. Like, listen, we're all in the health and fitness industry. I've been a personal trainer since I was in my 20s. I've been in this industry for three decades and I'd never once been taught that. And in fact, all of the crusty old men who run the fitness industry, sorry, Matt, 
It's we're okay. all saying, yeah, you just, <laughs> nothing changes. You literally remember we have like, we have pre um, postpartum fitness. We have senior fitness. We have chair aerobics or whatever it is, aqua fit for elderly, but there's nothing in the middle. There's no nuanced conversation. And so I just assumed that menopause was something you went through when you were older and that was it. You had no periods and a few hot flashes. And when I realized that you have this eight to 10 years of perimenopause that sees all of our sex hormones reduce significantly to a point where we can have these really crazy symptoms that don't make any sense, that don't present as being hormonal. I just was like, we have to be talking about this. And so I think I'm just one of many women in this space who have experienced stuff and are now like enough's enough. Yeah. It's it's nice to see a lot of more women talking about this because you know, as well as I do, there's so much bullshit around menopause and people that are really like selling. They're now taking advantage of uh, us women in menopause to try to sell us something to get us through menopause when a lot of it, like the doctor, uh, what's her name? Mm. Galveston. Um, with intermittent fasting diet and everything with it. Yeah. There are so many things out there. And the, the issue I have is that if you look at the nutrition science, there isn't a lot of nuance in there. We know there are some changes that we, if you need to lose weight, we know how to lose weight, right? We know how to do that, right? Yes, it's so much harder in menopause. Our metabolism doesn't change significantly. We know that from the Ponza study. We've known that for a while yet. This is our metabolism's broken. It needs rewiring or whatever. Nobody's cracked the code. That's the Galveston tagline, I believe anti-inflammatory diets. Well, all diets that are whole foods are going to promote um, anti-inflammatory response. But what does that even mean? It's so vague. And like, if you're telling people to eat more fiber, that's what we're telling people from a nutritional standpoint. That's not new news. But yeah, women need probably, and men, as we get older, to be looking at increased protein sources, to be eating you know, more complex carbohydrates, definitely. We definitely need to be sort of like make sure we've got adequate fiber and fats I don't even talk about because, you know, most people it's covered, you know, but the latest thing is eat a whole avocado every day. What the fuck? Who wants to do that? Like, come on. And 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 my my biggest issue is the way it's talk, talked about. We're going to balance your hormones. We're going to fix your metabolism. And I'm like, how? Mm. How? What yeah, hormones? Right. Stop it now. Shut up. Everybody's balancing your hormones, but they, they they can't tell you how. They absolutely can't. Just that their program's gonna do it. It's like it's like they have the solution. So let's make up a problem that we can sell it. Like the other day I talked about having a dry vagina. I think my post was like, it's dry January. And I'm like, hey, all the menopausal women over here are like, it's dry every fucking month, right? Downstairs. And I started, I sort of used it as an impetus to say, do you know that like, I didn't know this actually, but did you know women that, you know, in menopause and really post-menopause, the estrogen receptors in our vulva and vagina impact us so significantly that we actually need to take care of that for the rest of our lives. Almost all women will struggle with dryness, pain, urinary tract infections, vaginal infections. And the solutions are really simple. Moisturize, lubricate, and uh, localized estrogen cream, which is safe for almost all women. There's very few contraindications, even women who've had breast cancer. And it can just be a complete game changer, right? The, our tissues start to recede. It's like, it's literally, someone told me, like squeezing all the jam out of a donut right? And we have to put that jam back in. So I started talking about that. And somebody came on and said, no, you need to detox your liver. And I'm like, get oh off my fucking page. 
my God. Go away. <laughs> the amount of misinformation that's out there is actually mixed. I'm playing whack-a-mole every day. Bop, 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 bop. Yeah, it's horrifying. It's horrifying. And, you know, I know me and Matt get questions about menopause all the time. Like, what, what to do differently? Um, you know, should I do this? Should I do that? Should I cut this out? And should I not do cardio? Should I? And I'm yeah. like, oh, my gosh. Let's just take it down to the basics. Have you heard about like the the idea that we shouldn't exercise because more than 30 minutes because it causes an inflammatory response that we can't deal with because we have high cortisol? Like this is people that don't understand the human physiology and how, of course, exercise promotes an inflammatory response. Most things do, but we, our body needs that response and it needs to, it's a good response. Yeah. And so one of the issues I have is that, you know, I wrote my book and it's so boring, really, the advice, if you think about it, Beth, if you read it, like, it's like, yeah, do this and do that. It's all the basics. And most women aren't, aren't doing the basics. Most men, when they go to like and make improvements in their health, aren't doing the basics, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's not, it's not compelling. It's not, it's not, wow, it's not wow. Sexy. It's not sexy. That's the word. It's not right. sexy. Whereas like I'm saying, do this, do that. And people are like, what are you doing? Cause you look so fit and strong. I'm like the same thing every day on repeat, boring, 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 but it should be boring. It, gets it results. Be boring shit works. Right. Yeah. We had another, we had a registered dietitian come on and talk to us about PCOS. And it's the same thing she said with that. It's like, you're just getting really good at the, at the basic foundational shit. And so, so on that note, then Amanda, for, for menopausal women and, and perimenopausal women, um, what are those foundations then? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the five tenets, five pillars of health really are just the ones that we should be looking at. I actually broke them down into four in my book, like I call it a toolkit, the four menopause hacks. I almost wish I didn't use the word hacks now, but it was four years ago, so shut up when I wrote it. So, <laughs> but, but, but like we've got like the nutrition, exercise, stress management and sleep, I sort of put them together and then the mindset side of it. And I worked with people on this as well, because I'm clearly not an expert in all of these things. You know, we have to stay within our scope of practice. But when it comes to nutrition, we've just talked about it. The basics works with some nuances, you know, lose weight if you need to. But maybe you might see your body change shape because our fat deposits in a physiological way shift towards our our belly. Right. We see that happening. And increased protein likely isn't required for most women, um, increased fiber, because most of us don't have enough fiber and, you know, a good, a good balanced meal. Nah, nah, that's it. But then don't do big overhauls. I'm all about like, just like, if you're not finding protein in your breakfast, find it, just start looking for that. Make, you do, you do that. You talk the talk. So I don't really need to dwell on that too much. And then from the exercise for sure, muscle protein synthesis is impacted. I talk about that in the book, the stimulus is definitely impacted by estrogen. Our receptors um, in our body are about in about 200 systems. Estrogen is produced mainly in the ovaries and it impacts everything. It crosses the blood-brain barrier. Like it impacts our bone health, our muscle health. And so these things that impact us as we age are accelerated through menopause. So we have to start encouraging women to strength train. Even two times a week, just start feeling how that, oh, it feels so good. Like we can't tell them enough, can we, how good it feels, how our lack of confidence and self-esteem that gets impacted through menopause actually can be revived through strength training and as well as all of the health benefits that come with it. And um, and then our daily movement, we need to be less sedentary, getting up and walking and moving and doing the things that, you know, create a little bit of a spark of joy. And I'm all over, like, if women want to do Zumba and they want to do, well, I don't really care, actually. Let them do whatever they want. But 
try and look for those two minimum strength training sessions a week for for all of those um, reasons. And then the sleep and the stress like is probably some of the big things that women experience, first of all, like loads of women can't fall asleep or wake up in the middle. It's always at three o'clock for a pee. <laughs> and then and then like the the stress like our cortisol response is, is impacted slightly as well and remember this is a transition so through perimenopause we see these sort of peak and and it be exacerbated but our body starts to find itself and its equilibrium in postmenopause so actually even understanding that that you're not going to be like a wild banshee all the time and then if you are let's look at some ways that you can maybe be less reactive, walk away, take a breath, regroup, you know, do all of the things. We've all lost our shit in really unimaginable ways. And, and it seems to be a bit more extreme through like um, perimenopause. And I've had some literally experiences with my kids that bring me to tears thinking about it, you know, because I don't want to be that person. And, and, and yet women are and they don't get it. And you know what we know, and I'm part of Dr. Lisa um, Moscone's research study in New York. Um, it's so great. And if anyone ever wants to join you, just apply. And she's looking at the brain changes for women through menopause in relation to Alzheimer's, because we know more women than men get Alzheimer's. And so she's looking at how estrogen is a big factor. So estrogen helps with our sort of metabolic pathways in the brain and our brain shrinks. It shrinks during perimenopause to sort of cope with our lack of need for reproduction because that's the whole point of menopause, right? We're not going to reproduce anymore. And then what she's seen on the MRI scans and she's scanned my brain too as a four-year postmenopausal woman is our brains sort of regroup and rebound. They know that they need to adapt to this new sort of hormonal landscape and our brains can be big, fat and juicy again, which is what she described my brain as. And I will not forget that. And I remember in the thick of it with perimenopause, losing words, being in the middle of a conversation and forgetting like your name, Beth, or like where I, what I was going to talk about or where I put the remote control. It's in the fridge. Always, it's always in the fridge. But, you know, like and women really feel like they're losing their mind. And, and I'm part of it. If we know that this is going to happen, then let's come up with some strategies to help them write things down, take a minute, just gather your thoughts, take on less if you can and try and work with your body instead of always fighting against it, which is a common theme. Yeah. It's scary, you know, not remind I'm 50. I'm dealing with the, like forgetting people's names. I'm I'll go in the grocery store and I'm like, Oh my God, Beth used to work with that person. Who the fuck is she? Oh my God. Oh my God. Do you have like dementia right now? Like you're going yeah. through like all these things. Like, can you please, please don't walk up to me because I can't remember. Oh, you just, name. you just talk to them. Like, you it's know, them. you talk name. to them, like, you know, them and don't say the name and then it comes to you. And it's horrifying. It's horrifying. It's horrifying. And, and, and then the yeah. last part of it to me is the mindset thing. And I worked with a psychologist writing that, and it was my favorite part of the book. And it was like, we've all been there. Right. And I don't care what, time of life you're in where we sit and we go well what am I going to do with this what am I going to do in my life and what path am I on and am I really invested in this and I've sort of been there in this menopause world because it can get a bit exhausting you know it's not always uplifting and I remember sat there with my husband talking about it and he went you've got to be 100% in or 100% out either shit or get off the pot like go for it or get out and my friend who's a psychologist said and how you do that is you start looking at what your strengths are and working with your values. And so it's a psychological process to be able to say, well, this is where my strengths are. So I'm going to work towards that. 
But as long as it fits in with my value system, which for me was obviously like family and, you know, like happiness and like maybe career was down there, but it wasn't the highest thing for me, allowed me to say no more. It allowed me to respect myself more. It allowed me to look in the mirror and think, see the see the good parts of me because we all look in the mirror and see the bad parts and so I think that's the hardest work actually like the how can we go through this in a in a respectful way it's like you're mm-hmm. working uh with your body not against your body essentially which a lot of those things you mentioned earlier the de- liver detox and and everything else that's that's all really just working against your body and you're trying to put a uh a band-aid and it's not even a band-aid because it's not going to do anything anyway but it's like trying to put a band-aid over a gunshot wound we know that's not going to work i like that expression that's exactly what it feels like right and and typically if you follow the money like that's what drives me nuts because these people are so invested in this message and you just don't need to dig very hard to see that there's always a product that's at the end of it right and uh, i find it so disingenuous and i was actually speaking to celine yeager who is a friend of mine who does the feisty menopause. And she's sort of like me, only she does more for the athletic endurance pro um, athletes. And I was like saying, integrity doesn't come with profit. Not usually, right? Like it's harder to put your stake in the ground, but I don't care. I just would rather be the person that, you know, stays the cause and is in the middle ground as well. And there's all, I'm always open for the nuance and for the learning part of it there's so much i don't know about menopause and i've been talking about this five years right yeah yeah we're always it's admirable that you say that because a lot of these self-proclaimed experts they're the only ones calling themselves experts and they're the ones that have all the answers and and they're the, they're the smartest person in the room and like me personally i don't want to be the smartest person in the room if i am the smartest person in the room there's a problem with the room you know um i want to surround myself with people that are that are smarter than i and so i can learn from them yes exactly exactly yeah so the strength training aspect, we talk about this a lot on the podcast and strength training and the importance of it. But what I really like what you talk, talked about, there was the confidence of that, that that gives women in particular. And I know I work mostly with women and um, women in their 50s and 60s for the most part. And these are people that have never, they've always been so afraid of, of weight uh, strength training. And now they have some structure to it and, and they're learning how to do it in the right way. Six months, six months later, they're like, I never thought that I'd be a weightlifter or somebody that loves strength training, but here I am. I love it. I go, I love going to the gym every day. And I, I have, maybe I'm not losing weight, but I don't even care anymore because I feel good and I look good and I'm fucking strong. And it's like, that's what it's all about right there. I don't think you can put a price on that. Uh, and it's really hard to get the the buy-in. And I have an example of that. I don't have in-person um, training anymore. But when I did, um, I had this client who actually wanted to be a cyclist, like a road cyclist. And she wanted to get strong to be able to do that. So I was so happy that she already understood the benefits of strength training for endurance sport. Anyway, we were doing a TRX row. So, you know, we know what that is. But for anyone that doesn't know, it's where you hold the TRX and your arms are by, like your elbows are squeezed and by us. I'm doing it for you. And then you extend back. So you're actually falling backwards, but with control. And I knew she could do it. She was strong enough. And she was like, I can't, I can't, I can't fall back. I'm going to fall. I can't do this. And she was probably 52 at the time. And I was like, sure you can. I wouldn't put you in danger. And she was like, I can't, I can't. And she was starting to cry, right? And I was like, so this is a learning moment. This is a teaching moment, right? I can either just say, hey, we're going to quit. And I'm not one of those, like, this isn't for quitters type thing. But I just thought, this is not a difficult exercise. She's just got herself a knickers in a twist, essentially. 
So I went behind her and I said, my hands are on your shoulders behind you and you're going to lower yourself back. And it's almost like a reverse plank. And if you fall, you're going to land on me and squash me and I'll catch your fall. So she started laughing. And so she did it, obviously, because she could and she did it and she just couldn't stop. And she did like about 12 of these and she was like jumping up and down and crying, going, I did it, I did it, I did it. And I just thought to myself, that was a really small thing that she did, but that was a massive big leap for her. And then she just accelerated after that. And she's now like in, in her spot, she's now doing like 100K bike rides and stuff. And she always brings me back to that was her light bulb moment that she was capable. And um, Dr. Susan Kleiner, who is a, a brilliant expert in um, female nutrition, she works for the ISSN, said that, you know, we see a real decline in women's athletic ability because they lose confidence in it. They lose confidence in their athletic ability. So we have to ask them to push slightly forward. And we know that's where we thrive, right? We have to push slightly more and do things that make us a little bit scared. Not They don't have to be dangerous, but we have to we have to believe that we can because that's where the growth happens. And I've been in those situations where I've like had nervous things and I, and it's not me at all. Have you had them, Beth? Have you ever gone to, to do something and gone, oh my God, I don't think I can anymore. Like, I think we see that. And I just think that we have to sort of make that, like normalize that and just say, yep, yeah, so now let's see what we can do to help you, right? Like, what can we do to help you get started? And so when I wrote my strength training program within the book, I was like, how can I do this while acknowledging that, you know, there are going to be some women in perimenopause that can't get off the sofa, really are struggling to just get through the day. Like I know I was there myself, but there's others at the other extreme that want to just get strong. They feel like they can. And I sort of came up with that scale. I've posted about it before where I sort of marked myself and suggest that they do on their energy for that day because chronic fatigue is a huge symptom because of, we were talking about those energy pathways in the brain and so if their energy level is their one to two then you're not going to do a workout that day and that's actually okay in fact that's the best way to work with your body why would you fight that because if you do you're going to just feel worse the next day and probably the day after that so um, I just sort of suggest some type of movement, go out for a 10 minute walk, anything, anything, just to make you feel a little bit better. And then moving along, I, I talk about fitness snacking a lot. And this isn't just for perimenopause, but you know, there's those days where you just don't think you can do a full workout. Well, I wrote my programs in almost like a circuit fashion, but it's still structured as in a like progressive overload way. But I did them so that you're going to repeat the round four times so that that day, maybe just do one round so that you've still got that win and you still feel like you've, you know, you've done something that day. And then when you're at the nine to 10, when you've got the seized carpe fucking DM, do it, do it, do it when you can. And and, and, and you shouldn't need permission to do that, but we think we need it, right? We think that we have to have, and I'm saying, no, you're, you're the boss of you. You get to decide. And even if you feel like it doesn't, you're not making progress, even if you feel like it's not worth it, it is. It definitely is. Mm -hmm. What I love yeah. about what you're saying right there is because what you're saying is something is better than nothing. Meet your body and yourself where you're at. And that's really what we talk about in general. And I love that it's able, you're able to apply that to perimenopause and menopause and, and everybody in between as well, that that type of mindset works, you know, it's getting rid of that, 
that black and white thinking, right? Like, oh, I can't do all four rounds of the circuit, so I'm just not going to do any do any of them. No, like you said, one of them is great. Sometimes that's all you're able to do. Sometimes all you're able to do is a 10 minute 10 minute walk, but you're still doing something for yourself, and it's going to help you feel good. Yeah, and and like we've done that ourselves as coaches in post recovery or like from viruses or injury. Like I've had this virus that took like eight weeks to get out of my system. So right now I'm committing to exercising every day because I'm well enough and I need it from my mental health perspective because we know how beneficial it can be. But I'm also just doing 10 and 15 minute workouts every day because I just want to get my toes wet again. And and that's perfectly acceptable. And it, we don't always have to be like robots through this, you know, and uh, I call it the all or something, all or something instead of all or nothing. That's what we need to be doing. All or something. Yeah, all or something. That's that's yeah. phenomenal. I'm full of these. I've got that's all awesome. of these Atlantic dots. I collected them over the years. <laughs> did I hear you say fitness snack yeah. earlier yeah. too? <laughs> what the fuck I'm is like, a fitness I'm snack? Like, I'm like, did you say fitness snack? That's awesome. Yeah, and I it's love that. essentially what it is, right? I mean, if you know you've got like this structured 12 week program and it just looks overwhelming and you're like I think I can do like the first set of supersets or I can do one round of that it's sort of like a little snack of it isn't it so yeah it's my gift to you (laughs) (laughs) now do you feel that perimenopause is worse than actually menopause well statistically it seems to be right so personally yes Statistically, yes. Mm-hmm. And so here's what here's what their numbers say. And the North American Menopause Society is a great resource for this. So is the British Menopause Society and the International Menopause Society. Perimenopause lasts between eight to ten years from our late thirties, anywhere into our like fifties. Um, the average age of uh, white Western women is fifty-one. Different ethnic groups can be lower, sometimes forty-eight. You know, so it's in that sort of range that women reach menopause, which is the time when you haven't had a period for 12 months. But the time leading up to it is the most problematic for most women. I think there's a list of about 34 plus symptoms. Honestly, it could be 50, it could be 60, 70. It depends how you break them down. But we know that estrogen impacts our brain, our heart, our joints, our bones, our guts, everything, right? So it's no wonder that we have all of these symptoms that don't make sense to us, right? Even things like tinnitus and burning gums and like strange smell, like it's every, it's odd. There's so many odd symptoms, itchy skin, histamine reactions, everything. And so a lot of women really struggle and the symptoms aren't obvious and they don't stay because the estrogen falls in a very fluctuating manner. Like, yeah, like we're doing the roller coaster. Progesterone's a slide and estrogen's a roller coaster. And so we see increased depression and anxiety as, as these hormones fall as well. But then what they see is in the three to five years after menopause, so you're in postmenopause or you're menopausal, interchangeable words, that that three to five year period afterwards, most women see most of their symptoms recede. Now, if you're a woman in postmenopause and it's been five years and you're still getting hot flashes and you're still struggling with depression or anything like that, The recommendation is that you go back to the doctor to make sure it's not something else because it may not be menopause. We can't just say it's menopause for everything, right? And so that's that's what we see. And although women are encouraged to take hormone therapy for symptoms and for some disease prevention, you know, it's not actually to be um, prescribed for that, but there's some recommendations. It can help with our bones and our heart health, for example. What we see in postmenopause is most women come off hormone therapy as well because their symptoms subside so we can see it from a subscription 
um, statistical standpoint and just from studies that have been um, produced by the North American Menopause Society, etc. And I mean, let's think about it. We're going to be postmenopausal for potentially half our life third of our life you know mm. like it's a long time mm. um and not all women need to be on hormone therapy or can go on hormone therapy and they can still live long healthy lives some women may choose to stay on it and that's fine too under medical supervision it's a choice but when we're postmenopausal, because we're in a different playing field completely there are some diseases that we're more likely to be at risk for and that doesn't mean we're going to get them. It means we're at higher risk for cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's, insulin resistant, like obesity potentially. Um, you know, so the, the list goes the list goes on. Osteoporosis is a big one too. Women break bones. One in one in two women will break a bone. That like a, it can be wrist or whatever, and then it's and it's really problematic. But we know the lifestyle stuff that we talk about ad nauseum is got is data driven. And it can help promote reduction in all-cause mortality and disease prevention, so for longevity. So that's why we go on and on and on about these things. Mm -hmm. And for women who are looking to get help, maybe hormone therapy, um, replacement therapy, who do they go to for that? Yeah, so that's a really great question. And so there's a travesty happened in the healthcare system for sure. So in 2002, there was a WHI Women's Health Initiative study that said hormone therapy caused breast cancer and all hormone prescriptions were stopped, basically. It's since been retracted and almost every single researcher that was part of that study has said, no, it didn't. We didn't look at the data correctly. The, we didn't have the right conditions and the right subject matters. And it, we know that it doesn't cause. But because of that, and then also because menopause is a life transition, similar to puberty, it's not studied in in medicine. It's not studied by general practitioners, primary healthcare providers. And in the schools for OBGYNs, there's only about 10% of those will go for training for menopause management. They actually have to request it. It's not part of their schooling. So the number of menopause practitioners that exist is quite low. Hopefully that's changing now, but the North American Menopause Society do a training course that GPs and OBGYNs can take. And so they have a database of all doctors that have done that. So if people go to menopause.org, then they can find a provider, but not all providers are created equal, unfortunately. And so there's some of these people with the NAM certification that will write unregulated hormone prescriptions, insert testosterone pellets into women. And none of these are supported treatments by any of the medical organizations, but they're huge money makers, right? And so it's so frustrating to see, you know, there's a company in the US, a telemedicine company called Genev, and that's spelled G-E-N-N-E-V, genev.com, and it's telemedicine. And I think it's about $75 to see a healthcare practitioner that might you might be able to deduct from your insurance but that healthcare professional has been NAMS certified so menopause organization certified and vetted by Genev and they can do a full workup for you and write regulated hormone prescriptions for you so that's like another backup in Canada where I am we're in the process of like trying to overhaul a healthcare solution as well. That's part of a company I'm working with because at the moment it's in Toronto, there's a two year waiting list to see a menopause specialist. It's just stupid. 
It's just stupid. And so, you know, so for, for a lot of women, hormone therapy is a really great fit for them and it can be life-changing as their symptoms can subside and they can get on living their life again, you know. And even if you're not a candidate, there are other medications that you can take that can really help you. And so women go to their doctor and get dismissed and it's wrong, but the doctors don't know what they don't know. And so there's this big grassroots movement of us all saying, we have to get the word out that, like hormones are safe for most women. There's always going to be contraindications like there is with lots of medication. I don't take it. I can't, right? But it's it's good for some women and there's other treatments for other women, right? But on my website, amandathebe.com, I have a whole list of resources. So if you're in the US, I have the prescription guidelines there. Print them off, take them to your doctor. I have them for Canada. I have them from the UK. But it doesn't matter where you are because they're all the same. They're all in agreement globally. And then I often find that when doctors are presented with, well, I've been to the menopause website, they've printed it off and this is what they recommend. They're like, oh, great. I didn't know that. And I've had good success with that type of approach. And so you have to sort of advocate for yourself, which is very difficult. I understand. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really surprising too, that more doctors don't have training in this because so like half of our population are are women, right? And all women are going to go through menopause. That's just a normal process. So like you would think that there'd be more education there. And it kind of surprised me that, did I understand you correctly? um, When you were talking about uh, OBGYN, they're not necessarily trained in menopause? No, they're not. That's very surprising to me. Maybe it's just ignorance on my part, but no, I felt the same too. And I'm obviously in connection with lots of OBGYNs and then obstetri- obstetrician is the type of um, training they get. So it's more to do with um, delivering children, right? And so this is a, I think it's changing. And I think that there's movements to try and get the, the curriculum changed. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because it's a life transition, but it doesn't mean it's easy. And neither is like birthing, not, neither is dying. You know, we don't let people suffer and women are suffering needlessly. But there's also a way to go through menopause that's not like in a natural transition. So women who've had cancer treatments may go Mm -hmm. on to aromatize inhibitors or like tamoxifen, which puts them into um, menopause straight away. Or they may go have surgery and have their ovaries removed or other cancer treatments. Or they might have early menopause under the age of 40. I mean, some women in their 20s and 30s go through menopause purely because they don't have enough ovarian sufficiency. It's called premature ovarian insufficiency. And these are a category of women that are largely ignored and they go for help and they don't get it. And there's a lot of good resources out there now because doctors who specialize in this are like saying enough's enough. Those women usually need treatment. So if they're a candidate for hormone therapy, they're usually put on, especially after a hysterectomy or early menopause, because there is dangers of losing your reproductive hormones so early and so abruptly in your life before the age of like, they say 51, you know, so it's to help you get over that hump. But for women who've had breast cancer that can never take hormone therapy and they get, they get their symptoms like overnight, they'll get hot flashes, drenched depression and aching joints, and it's miserable for them. There are a list of um, pharmaceutical interventions that they can take that are non-hormonal. And there's even new drugs in the in the pipeline specifically for these women, but that might take a while to happen. I just want women to know that they they shouldn't suffer. And there are specialists out there, but it's just sometimes look like looking for a needle in a haystack. But there's a bunch of us doing our best to try and change that. 
Yeah. It takes a lot of work. I know for me, because I'm on uh, HRT, I have topical creams that actually really fucking helped. Um, and before that, I'm like, even my primary care physician, she was like, Oh, um, I had massive anxiety, night sweats. I wasn't sleeping, you know, everything. And she's like, Oh, here's some anti-anxiety medicine. And I'm like, okay, well, that's really not going to fucking help me. Um, so I had to go outside of her to figure out who was in my area that can actually help me. And then I had to have her get a referral. So it was kind of, I had to jump through some loops just to have my doctor approve of me of getting topical cream to make me feel better. It's crazy, isn't it? Like it shouldn't be this hard, but it, but yeah. it is unfortunately. Yeah. And so there are two resources, menopause.org and genev.com to me for the, for America, are ways of like seeing if you can get help. I have a Facebook group. I actually don't run it anymore because it actually got too much. Cause when you hear this type of stories, I've already shared with you day in and day out, it can be quite draining. And it is actually just a community group. There's nothing else happens in there. It's called menopausing so hard. It's about 16,000 women in there. And that's a good place to go if you want to just ask other women, have you been to a good doctor in the area? That's what I see happen a lot in there. And so, um, you know, sometimes just having a community is always a great way to like lessen the burden. Because when you realize you're not alone and other people are going through this, you don't feel like a freak. You don't feel so isolated, right? Yeah, for sure. What's the, sure. the name of the group? I'm going to look it up so we can plug it in the notes then too. It's called menopausing so hard and you, and you won't really see me in there. I do post like about my podcast and stuff in there, but it's run by another group, but it's just a place for women to go and chat essentially. So it might be helpful for some. It's always nice to have a support system in place. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I'm sure they've created their own community I'm within quite themselves. Sure they have, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's probably also a lot of nonsense in there too, because that's something that's really hard to manage in those groups. Right. Yeah. And like you said, now they're not alone. And that's the biggest thing. Like if people just understand that they're not alone, they're not going through, you know, they're not the only ones going through these things. I know some of my clients on a group call last night kind of had that revelation with their own relationship with food and, and their, the ways of thinking they're like to hear other people say this is just reassuring. And it just makes me feel better that it's just not me. I've been certainly made to feel that it's just me and I'm the only one because just other people didn't understand what I was going through exactly that and and I think depression is another good one where that comes in you know it's like very isolating and, and a lot of women struggle with depression through perimenopause and it's really hard to think that anybody else feels as bad as you do right and that's when I'm just like if you're feeling that bad like it's really important to speak to somebody else and know that you're definitely not alone yeah. And when it comes to this conversation, I'd rather just listen because a lot of times when, when Beth and I get these questions, especially on like TikTok live and things like that, and I try to talk about women going through menopause, like, oh my God, you think <laughs> I'm a bastard or something. People just go come from my head. So it's like, all right, I'm just going to listen and have a seat at the table. But I know myself personally, I've been dealing with some changes in my own body, obviously not a woman, but I'm actually getting my lab work done currently to check my T levels and everything. Um, so once I get all get answers there, and, and I definitely want to talk about it here on the podcast to see what I learn, but it's just, uh, you know, it's just got to be a proactive approach to this type of stuff. And we can't just accept the new norm, especially because what you were talking about with depression, I've been dealing with some depression recently the last couple of months, as Beth knows. And lifestyle stuff for sure. But, you know, there's a lot of changes happening. You know, I'm 36. I'm not old by any means, but, you know, this is the age for men where things start changing a lot too. It is, yeah. And it's multifaceted all the time. And, you know, as far as andropause is concerned, like, you know, testosterone levels fall gradually over time. Women have a testosterone too as well. It's not related to menopause. It just falls. It's an age-related thing. 
And so men like change, they, they don't recognize themselves, but it's more, it's over a longer period of time and less impactful, I think, like in the fluctuation dramatic yeah, way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it's just the, it's, yeah, I was going to just mention, you know, I hate naming names too much, but, you know, you mentioned the Galveston diet and somebody shared with me today that a young male trainer was like saying, hey, menopausal women, I just wanted you to know I'm here. I support you. And there are no big metabolic shifts in menopause that we know of that you need to keep moving every day. And it was a really benign, it's like I've been talking about, like really solid post and he got called out by the Galveston diet as being a shill and being a fitness professional that doesn't know what he's talking about he was just trying to say hey I'm an ally I support you and you know I have to say that I've done podcasts for tons of young male trainers and I think it's the best thing in the world that they open to learning like they'll say things like what are some approaches I can take to my in-person menopausal women yeah. to show them that I I care about them, but without feeling like I'm overstepping the mark? And I sort of say the same type of thing. Like I'll say, buy my book and have it lying around for one. I'm just joking. But like, <laughs> just say to them, hey, I did a, like a podcast the other day. Or I did a course the other day that was all about menopause. And I feel much more equipped to sort of be able to help you. I just want you to know that I'm here for you. Yeah. And then also that when you're, we are really good at reading our clients when they come in. And if you see that this person has showed up and that's the, their win for the day, Maybe you can say, hey, you know the workout we were going to do today? I thought what we might do is just work on your form and do some mobility stuff. And you can monitor how the clients are because there are going to be days where they don't want to lift and they just need you. They just need you. We end up being like their life coaches, right? Because I don't know about you, when you're feeling sort of like that, sometimes when you start you start, and you'll say, I'm just going to do like one round, you're like, you know what, I can, I can do a bit more. And it's just getting started and and then another, and the, the last thing I sort of advise is like, know that sometimes there's some physical limitations to some of the exercises that you're going to give. And it might be, you know, a lot of women struggle with wrist pain and shoulder pain when their estrogen drops. We see that a lot, like it seems to end the elbow pain. And so we know that movement helps for that, even though it feels like it's the last thing they want to do. So get them on an elevated surface and get them to work their hands and create tension and stability through their wrist and get them to do their push-ups that way or hold a plank that way. Be respectful. If you're going to get them to do double unders, look at your menopausal woman and go, is she going to piss her pants if I do this? How about I just say, we're all going to skip to start with or alternatively, we can do air squats, body weight squats. You choose your life, you know, like be respectful and they will they will appreciate you more. And if somebody is calling a male trainer out for saying, I respect menopausal women, I want to help them, they can go fuck themselves. They can give themselves a thumbs they up. They can give themselves a thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> it comes full circle. But you're absolutely right. And it's a shame that that trainer sound like they were well-intentioned. And like, it, there's nothing fucking wrong with being an ally. Like, you need allies in your corner. I mean, everybody does. Like the Galveston diet in particular, um, I know she, I'm blocked by her best, blocked by her best, had her rounds with her. And she's blocked everybody in the evidence-based community, all of our colleagues, all of our friends, doctors, registered dietitians, because she's got that vacuum chamber going and no, no, or the echo chamber, anything else that saying anything else other than what she's promoting is wrong, essentially. When you fear-based women into reducing their calories to an extreme amount and cutting hours and taking lots of supplements that feed into the coffers, then that's a red flag. 
every time. We should never be given advice that's fear-based. Even the way we talk about the studies that show that estrogen might help with cognitive help and stuff like that. Um, Part of me is always like, can we talk about this so that everybody feels part of the conversation? Because I've already told you all these women that can't take hormones. So we can say it may be part of the treatment. But if it's not, it doesn't matter because there are so many other things that we can do. And it's not like that out there. It's very binary and I hate it. Anyway, I always feel like I'm the one that's like, oh, for fuck's sake, here we go again. I feel like I'm like getting strains in my eyeballs from rolling my eyes, but whatever, that's me. I think I care. I, I am a born skeptic. I am jaded, you know. That's, that's a good thing. Natural, healthy skepticism for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I feel you, Amanda. I I get it. It's exhausting. It it can be exhausting, especially because we just want to help people. We're not here to like, you know, sell a, sell a product. And we just want to make sure that because we know we going through this, this is real. Um, We're here to help people not to do it. And it's frustrating when you see the other, the latter. And you know, and one of the things I might say is like for the women that are actually talking about it, it's actually not very easy to talk about because we have to put ourselves out there and be vulnerable. I remember the first time I sort of said menopause and vagina and I was on TV. I was in break on breakfast TV and I said vagina. (laughs) I was like, ah, fuck, I can say anything I want now. And what's even funnier is my husband is never on social media. He's very private. He doesn't even let me tag him in photos. And if he's in a photo, I call him the hubby because I, <laughs> like he's so paranoid. And I went, I've just said vagina on national TV. And he's like, it's data. It's fine. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> then that's fine. But in talking about how men can help, he's an executive in a bank. And when we lived in Texas for four years, let's not go there. He was online with all of his staff of about 600 people and all of these company executives. At the end of it, he would hold up my book and go, hey, my wife wrote a book about menopause. We should be talking about menopause in the workplace. And I was like, you know what? My husband felt lost for at least two or three years of me being in perimenopause. And he read my book because he had to vet it to make sure I wasn't crossing any lines. And he he said, every man should know and every man should talk about it. It's important. And now I'm doing presentations to the police force where the male chief inspector is on the call going, I'm sorry, we didn't know about this. Mm-hmm. We're going to change our policies. We're going to change our approach. And That's it powerful. matters. It's powerful. Although last yeah. story, I'm full of anecdotes. So my kids know about menopause. Of course, they're like, you know, menopause, whatever, menopause, this. And one of my kids' friends, came around he's like 20 and he came around and he sees a picture of me on my book and I'm like flexing my guns and I'm like going and it looks like a fitness book and he opens and flicks through the book and I'll bear in mind my kid has about two friends in life and this is one of them and he opens the book and he goes yeah Cameron your mum's having trouble with a sex life because she's got to drive a vagina and I'll never not be able to see that again (laughs) (laughs) we never stop traumatizing our kids (laughs) my son's like mom why did you Oh man, that's too much. That's great. That's awesome. It's funny. Good luck. Good luck. I know whenever I talk about menopause, I get so many people coming after me. You're wrong. Uh, It's this, it's that. It's your, you know, you have to regulate the hormones and you, you know, it's, it's almost like I open the, the, the fucking floodgates for the fear-based people to come after me. And what's happened in the conversation is it's now being discussed at as in the UK, is it like a deficiency, a hormone deficiency or a hormone, hormonal like disease, it's going to lead to the disease. And when we talk about hormone, um, menopause and that type of de- 
deficiency disease model. I said too many words and I was tripping over myself. But when you get where I'm going, you get where I'm going. That's fear. That's fear based, right? Mm -hmm. And the idea that hormone therapy is a magic pill that can do all of these things is short sighted and not backed by data when we know the 360 conversation matters with hormone therapy being a, a, a really important part of it. And so it's mm -hmm. not a hormone deficiency because our bodies were designed to go through this. They have to go through this. We're not trying to stop it. When we take hormone therapy, right. what we're doing is we're, we're, we're lessening that burden. We're trying to get rid of all of those crazy fluctuations. It's a very low level of hormones we get, but it really does find that women just it eases them through. And they may need to change their medication as they go through this as hormones, like as our levels change and, and symptoms get better or worse, right? It's a, a moving target, essentially. But the idea that people come on and say, you're wrong, we need our hormones replacing, it's a deficiency or any type of thing like that, or I'm just going to push through and and suffer, you know, take one for the team. It's like, oh, God, stop it. Yeah. You know, stop yeah. it. It's just too much. And it's hard, right? So, yeah. yeah. You don't get a badge for pushing through and, and, not, and neglecting it, right? No, like, yeah. what are you trying to prove, mm -hmm. right? And you're also dismissing a lot of women that are going through this. Like, So, for example, I chose to take antidepressants because I didn't work well with hormone therapy. It made me suicidal. It can. Some women have a really extreme reaction to it. Antidepressants worked incredibly well for me, for my migraines and for my depression, but then I stopped needing to take them as my symptoms subsided. And it's really interesting because women will say, well, antidepressants are the wrong thing for menopause. And I'm like, but they can be the right thing. And for you, for example, Beth, the um, anti-anxiety medication wasn't appropriate. But if you weren't a candidate for hormone therapy, it might have been appropriate. And so to me, I think that what's happened over the years is doctors have been really, really trained and pushed towards caring for our mental well-being because they've seen a decline in it. And so they they don't want us to suffer. So they're like, um, you're you're approaching our doctor with depression or anxiety. And they're like, well, I can help you with an anti-anxiety medication. Because again, they don't know what they don't know. That's why it's really important for us to try and get education out there. To me, it's the only answer. Education, education, education. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Damn it. Damn it. I know. Dang it. It's already two o'clock. Yes, That's is. crazy. I'm a tall gobshite. An hour, <laughs> hour just flew by. It's been so awesome having you on here. Talk about this menopause subject. Hope you, you don't know? get crucified for it then. <laughs> I don't think so. Our, no, we have no. an amazing community. Like the people, everybody listens to our podcast is the fucking top notch. Like we love, we love everybody. And we know this is going to be helpful because we know so many people are struggling with this and struggling in silence with it. Um, and they, they don't even realize that they're struggling with it right now either. Um, you're the messages that you're telling us and the things you're saying us right now, some light bulbs are absolutely going to be going off because of that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, I I advise people that are listening to get my yes. apocalypse. Yeah. I advise them to do that <laughs> So yeah. For Amanda, where can people find Metapocalypse? <laughs> For self-serving reasons. Where could that people find you? I just book? send them to my website, which is just my name, amandathebe.com. And so on there is a link to all of my social media and where to buy my book. And there is a link to, I have a podcast too, with all due respect, which is essentially a thumbs up or a middle finger as you decide. <laughs> and then um, I also have a resources section. And I think that that's probably going to be the most helpful to people and they can find things that's appropriate for them like menopause results. Yep. We will absolutely put that in the notes too, to make it easy for people to find. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I love you guys. 
Love you too. Thank you so much for coming on. We got to get that picture. Photo time. I want to do a thumbs up. Hope you enjoyed this episode. So why not share with a friend who needs to hear it? Send us a DM on Instagram or email us at cutthecrappod at gmail.com and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash cutthecrappodcast. As always, we appreciate you.